Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. Welcome to the Cyber Edition of the Workforce Show. I'm Jeremy Haas, and I'm here with my co-host, Olga Polischuk. Uh, in this program, we talk with a variety of guests about the field of cyber and careers in cyber. As we've talked about in the past, cyber is a very diverse field, and it's much more than IT or engineering. Um, but, but we like to pull from a, really from a broad background of, of individuals and hear about their, their stories. And, and so with that, you know, I'm glad to have uh, John um, Bamanek. Can, John, how do you say your last name? Yep, Bamanek, you got it right the first Bamanek. time. great. Great, thank you, Jeremy. We are definitely thrilled to host John here today. He's a prominent cybersecurity mm -hmm. expert. Um, currently, John is the VP of Security Research and Intelligence at ThreatStop. He's also a lecturer in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Illinois. He's a handler with the Sense Internet Storm Center. And overall, John has over 18 years of experience in information security. He leads several international investigative efforts tracking cyber criminals, some of which have led to high-profile arrests and legal action, He's currently tracking uh, neo-Nazi fundraising via cryptocurrency and publishes online to his Twitter and um, as well as other monitoring solution for cryptocurrency activity. John specializes in disruptive activities designed to greatly diminish the effectiveness of online criminal operations. He has produced some of the largest bodies of open source intelligence, which is used by thousands of entities across the world. Um, John, you have a very uh, intriguing title mm. on your LinkedIn profile, Artisanal Malware <laughs> Leader. Uh, please tell us yeah. about your career path. What made you become a cybersecurity expert? Um, by accident, really. Um, the Air Force paid for my college. My degree is in uh, astrophysics. Uh, basically, I studied extragalactic astronomy and was planning to be a pilot, but injured my knees and that it, at pretty much the very end of college and had to go into the workforce. Uh, but going back even farther, I, you know, I started writing computer programs when I was six and basically cheating at video games was my uh, introduction into security, really, and reverse engineering for that matter. Uh, so when I had to go look for a job, uh, I was at the tail end of the dot-com era. I had some basic security stuff. I did some part-time work at the university uh, on system admin and uh, security-related stuff. So I uh, got a job at Ernst & Young, uh, more or less out of college. Uh, said, got a call on Friday. Say, here, can you be on a plane to Kansas City on Monday? It's like, well, you're paying, and I need a job. So sure. Um, and kind of fell into doing uh, some security uh, work for uh, Ernst & Young and then uh, Ernst & Young Technologies and then Capgemini Technologies because it was the whole tax and audit uh, and consulting breakup era also. Uh, and never really left uh, and kept doing more and more interesting things. And every day there's more and more uh, new and interesting things to, to deal with. So, John, what was the 
I'm curious to know, I mean, astrophysics is a super interesting background. Did, was there a particular reason that you, you went the cyber direction as opposed to astrophysics? Well, there's no jobs in astrophysics, for one. <laughs> um, there's a, I want to say it was the first physics class that the TA showed a, a comic, right? You know, you know, it's a bad day when you go out to celebrate getting your master's in physics and you're being served by a bartender who's got a PhD in the same field. So um, uh, I didn't really want to go into academia at that point. So uh, there really wasn't many other paths open to me aside of, of doing technology um, because at that time there wasn't really any degree programs that were producing people who were, who were needed to deal with that problem. Um, and I had some basic skill sets and I said, it was kind of right place, right time uh, to be able to get, a, uh, get in, uh, get my foot in the door at Ernst & Young uh, as opposed to what we do entry-level professionals now saying, oh, we need you to get a master's and three certs from SAMs and have five to 10 years experience, and then we'll make you a level one SOC analyst. Uh, this was luckily before that era of, uh, of hiring. Do you see any similarities between astrophysics and cybersecurity? Um, if you take a step back, uh, right, in, in, in terms of seeing kind of how the universe has discrete ways of objects that interact with each other. Um, it's very similar in that the technology space where, you know, influences and things that you may do in one space greatly affect the other, uh, or, or uh, certainly, you know, and when there's a close relationship. So as an example, right, in the bio, I, it says I track cryptocurrency transactions of neo-Nazis. Uh, well, it, I do that publicly. And one, it's helped disrupt their, their donations. Uh, but they've also then, some of them have switched to Monero, which makes it a lot harder to monitor what they're doing. So uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction uh, is the Newtonian way of putting it. And John, what are you most excited about in your field right now? Um, I don't know. What excites me is new problems. I don't like doing the same thing more than once, really. Uh, if I can automate it, then I, that's what we do in technology, right? We apply technology to, to solutions so that we don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over. So uh, the, the thing that excites me is that there's always a new problem to be had. Uh, but it's also frustrating, right, with, with the IoT stuff, uh, you know, the people deploying many of these solutions haven't learned the lessons that we've learned over 20 years, right? Automatic updates is a great example. When Microsoft made that the default setting where they released patches on Tuesday and pretty much every workstation reboots that evening, unless you set it to something else or in a corporate environment, uh, that had a radical improvement on the state of, uh, of security generally, right? Of, of the global population and, you know, an auto update IOT device, there's a couple that do it, but not many, right? The Mirai botnet you know, don't have default passwords and don't run telnet. Mirai botnet is because somebody run telnet had the same six character username and password. Um, so um, it's it's exciting in the sense of it's new problems and new impacts. Um, and uh, but it's also you know there's also frustrations. It's like we've learned this lesson already. Why aren't you applying it? So we, we, we talked just very briefly about some of the, 
the things that you're actively involved in. And I'd, I'd really, I'm really curious to hear more about some of those efforts um, or some, mm -hmm. some of those activities. I mean, you, you have a, a senior role at ThreatStop. Uh, you're an mm -hmm. handler with the Internet Storm Center, and, and you're also um, teaching at um, um, University of Illinois. Can, can you tell us a little a little bit more about e each of those? Like, you know, what is Threat Stop? What is the Internet Storm sure. Center? Because I don't know that everybody, you know, is, is aware of those organizations and a little bit about what you're doing there. Those, those. Sure. Um, Threat Stop is a small security company uh, based in San Diego, uh, well, Carlsbad, California, near San Diego. It's, it's where I am this week. Uh, we have two basic products. One is a, a DNS firewall and an IP firewall. So in essence, we take all the threat intelligence, clean it up, curate it, remove all the false positives, and then automatically put it into bind or active directory so that when your user clicks on phishing link, if we know about it, uh, then they don't go to phishing website. Uh, we do the same for, for firewall devices, you know, because we know a lot about the malicious IPs on the internet. Well, you've got a firewall device that's got an access control list. You can block it right there and save uh, the higher um, the higher resource security solutions that are doing, you know, web proxy or IDS and save those cycles for threats that have to be handled with layer seven, so to speak. Uh, the SANS Internet Storm Center was uh, born uh, about 20 years ago, uh, a little less, I think it's 18, uh, under the notion of uh, everybody's got firewalls and devices that are logging stuff. Um, but when these global worms happened, that, that were happening in the late 90s and, and early turn of the century with SQL Slammer and Code Red, uh, there should be some kind of early warning system that that can do the statistical modeling saying, hey, there's a huge spike on port A, what's going on there, uh, and take a look. Uh, so the idea is kind of based off of, right, you know, if a, a weather storm center, you've got sensors all over, uh, and then people saying, hey, this is this is a threat that's, that's happening. So organizations can uh, otherwise protect themselves. It's a free resource at isc.sans.edu. Um, and obviously teaching I fell into, there, there is um, two problems, right, is, is talent shortage. Um, but we don't have an aptitude shortage, uh, right, but we don't have a good talent pipeline. Uh, so uh, part of the problems of how higher education develops courses is it's not really teaching the most relevant stuff for students. Uh, and it typically, you know, it is certainly in a research institution, right? You know, the way you become a professor is you get your bachelor's degree at 22, you get your doctorate at 26, 27, you do a postdoc, and then you're a professor at 30 for the next 30 years. There isn't any real world uh, impact at it, you know, and they're, they're producing, uh, while they're teaching undergraduate researchers, they're, they're producing people who are, are more research minded in the academic sense than, than people who can be airdropped in and say, here, be a SOC analyst. Uh, so I also teach at the community college, but you know, the idea is trying to lower the bar of entry. A lot of companies want a college degree. I, I actually don't look for college degrees for, for my hires. I don't require them, um, but a lot of companies do. But I think it's problematic where you know the default path now seems okay go get your computer science bachelor's degree then go get your master's in cybersecurity and okay now you're ready for a seventy thousand dollar a year 
sock job. Um, you know, but congratulations, you've got $150,000 of, of, of potential college debt, hopefully, hopefully a lot less. Uh, but at least you're in an industry where well, you could probably pay that off eventually, but that's really not uh, an ideal scenario. I think we should have programs in the community college level, you know, put, put people through classes for two years and then airdrop them into a stock uh, because I don't think we need all the, the CS stuff that comes along with the CS program. Um, so uh, that's kind of what I've been focusing on the last couple of years. And John, what are some other factors that you would look in uh, in an employee for? Uh, I mean, if they've worked before, right? I look, you know, I say, hey, what you've done, and looked at experience. Um, you know, I think most of us who have been working for a while, but you know, at best, our college degree is a checkbox. Everybody looks at prior experience, but somebody who doesn't have prior experience, um, you know, I. I've had interns, right? Interns is, uh, internships is a great talent pipeline. You know, here, you know, I'll pay you X dollars an hour uh, and basically teach you. And the interview is, is to take a look at your aptitude, right? You know, there's some technical questions, right? You know, do they know the difference between TCP and UDP? You know, some trivia-based stuff. But, uh, yeah, I kind of ask other questions, right? Is, you know, I'm kind of burning this this interview question, but one question I've asked is, all right, if I put a broken toaster in front of you, how would you go about diagnosing and fixing it, right? Just to hear how the, the thought process is, because nobody really thinks about repairing toasters, you know, but, you know, hey, I would do this and, and try to figure it out or, you know, go to the stack overflow of toasters, uh, because, you know, even 20 years in, right, you know, there, there's a lot of times, okay, I don't know the answer to this question, can I Google for it? Oh, okay, somebody else had this problem. Uh, Were you surprised by any <laughs> No, um, I mean, some, uh, you know, if, if I was, in, you know, getting interns out of a college program, particularly students in electrical and computer engineering, they usually had very detailed and specific answers. So that question is probably not the best <laughs> for people who actually done had classes in circuitry, uh, because they actually have the answer to that question. Um, I don't know if any answer surprised me, but it's very easy to kind of weed out of people who can troubleshoot and think about problems and think about what causes them and how they can be solved, which is primarily what most of us are doing every day is, is, is basically troubleshooting how to identify problems and how to solve them. Uh, and especially at the higher end, right, where, where there isn't a stack overflow uh, to be had. Um, you know, but there's a lot of problems where, yeah, you know, I can put a knowledge base in front of somebody in a, in a sock and they can do it. But as long as they know the right questions to ask, what rocks to look under, know when they don't know the answer, how to go find the answer, um, you know, and some intellectual curiosity. Um, I, the, the teaching people the, the technical hands-on keyboard things of, of security is not hard, right? You know, here's an IDS, here's a web-based console, here's all of the various things that threat intelligence, you know, looks at, right? The the 20 tabs of security research, um, you know, using the tools are pretty straightforward. It's how you put that information together that matters. And that's, that's a soft skill. That's not really a technical skill that I think you can, you can spot pretty easily with asking a few targeted questions uh, and then just teach them the technical skills as you go. Well, I think, I mean, it's super interesting ha having you as a guest just because of, you know, you're, you know, you're a prolific, publisher, 
uh, speaker, you, you have the threat research job that you have at Threat Stop, and then the, the, you're, you're tied into the, the academic world. You know, we you know, are trying to provide insight and advice to people who want to get into, into the field that, that you're in and have similar experience and roles that, that you have. Can you elaborate any more? I mean, if I was someone that was looking to get into cybersecurity, can you can you just elaborate a little bit more on on what how you would advise me um, as as someone sure. who like in terms of education? Are there certifications that you think are industry interesting? Even professional development, the role of security conferences. Um, I'm just interested in your, you know, your general advice. Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, I mean, if you're looking for CTS, take a look at National Cyber League. It has a variety of exercises in a learning environment so that you can actually do stuff, right? Um, a lot of the problem with many of the, the courses we have is, uh, you know, you're not really doing stuff, uh, you know, and that really... I don't know about everybody, right? You know, I learned by doing. A lot of the people I know learn by doing. And, and, and what we know about how the human mind retains information and understanding, you learn a lot more when you've done it than, than you've read about it, right? You know, um, so every one of us has broken an operating system and lost data. It's like, okay, how do we, you know, recover it and, you know, reinstall Linux for the seventh time because I've that panicked the kernel again. Um, you know, uh, so um, beyond that, right, National Cyber League uh, for conferences uh, that uh, I, I always recommend B-sides. There's usually one near everywhere in the country. They're low cost and they're people talking about neat stuff that they've done. Um, you can get to a, a lot more expensive conferences. I mean, there are big ones. ShmooCon in D.C., you know, for the past couple of weeks is relatively inexpensive. There's just a lot of demand for the tickets, so you might not get one. Um, you know, but uh, take a look at events around you. That's something that really wasn't available to me when I was coming up in the industry. You know, there was there's, there's always been Black Hat and DEF CON, you know, but if you don't have a travel budget or $2,000 or whatever the Black Hat and DEF CON ticket combo tickets are these days, you're not going to be able to get there. Uh, so now we have B-sides specifically, right, for this problem is, you know, for people who don't have travel budgets who are trying to get in the industry and get some exposure. Uh, and, you know, beyond that, find something that you're interested in and figure out how it works and how it can be broken. If you got an IoT device, you know, take it apart and see, you know, if you can get into the operating system and see how it's built. Um, you know, I, I pick something you're interested and passionate about because cybersecurity is just a huge space in terms of, of problems you can tackle, right? Uh, you know, you've got forensics and investigations, you've got BEC and social media disinformation, uh, election security, uh, you know, I said the IoT devices. I mean, just spending time uh, securing a small business, right? Or not-for-profit. Um, there's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity if, if you live at least probably in a more population-dense area. Of, Oh, hey, I, I can go to, you know, a not-for-profit of United Way and say, hey, let me, let me, you know, spend a couple hours a week helping your technology be secure, right? Uh, especially when you start talking about uh, things that handle healthcare information, um, you know, 
local drug treatment facilities, right? Lots of healthcare information to be had there, a vulnerable population. So it's, I mean, you get my health records, you're going to see a doctor says he's a 42 year old man who doesn't go to the doctor, probably should lose some weight. Um, okay. But once you get into deal with addiction, there's, there's real risk and consequences of those records being out. So, and, and, hey, how can I help you uh, protect that population, right? Um, you know, so there's, there's lots of, of different things that you can do. And I could spend all 25 minutes enumerating that, on the, you know, and still only scratch the surface. And I would say, you know, we're, we're very lucky in this industry. You could pick something you're passionate about, and there's probably a security element to it that you could focus on. But you mentioned also um, some certifications and, and mm-hmm. perhaps even edu- ed- formal education. What, what do you? What would you um, recommend as a as a path? Where do you? What do you see as beneficial? What are the things that you see as not beneficial? Um, the, I mean, the role of degrees and and certifications is is basically to get you get you past the first round and filter for a job interview. So I'd say anybody's like, what certification should I get? Go on Monster or or wherever you go to look for jobs. Look for jobs that you'd like to do and see what they say you need to have. Uh, and do that. Unfortunately, that may that you know that model, which is here, there's lots of people that want to see the SANS GSEC. And I've done work with SANS, and I'm not bagging on SANS, but that's a pretty high barrier. It's okay, we want to see a bachelor's degree and a SANS cert. So okay, you've got all the costs of a bachelor's degree. And then on top of that, you're spending, you know, several thousand on a GSEC. Um, you know, if you want to get into working at a bank and doing security, that that may be the cost of entry. Um, so I have a somewhat kind of, you know, utilitarian view of, of certs. I don't know that many, uh, many impress me. I wouldn't close the door on anybody who didn't have a cert. But a lot of jobs, because I'm on the other side of the table, I've done hiring, and hiring is one of the most miserable things that I do, because I'm having the same conversation a hundred times, and often it's the people who aren't qualified or really interested in, in what I'm hiring for in the first place, you know. And unfortunately, degrees and cert- certifications are good filters or, or or decent enough filters that many, at least large businesses, just use them, you know, blindly. It's I mean, I've got a degree in astrophysics. I checked the box and have a bachelor's, a bachelor's degree. And now I have a master's in CS, but that's relatively new. Um, you know, no one has ever gone back and looked. It's just checkbox stupid. So um, in terms of planning what you would do, um, I'd say look at jobs that you'd want to do and what they require, but also try to see if you can find a, you know, a small to mid-sized business that might not be as... Uh, programmatic and uh, bureaucratic in terms of their hiring process uh, and do it or look at the not-for-profit world you know government uh, particularly local governments is always looking for people uh, and they don't pay well but uh, there's a program I'm affiliated with uh, funded through the NSF it's called scholarship for service basically we pay a year of your college give you uh, I want to say $24,000 stipend on top of that and for every year you're in the program, you do a year of service in the federal government. Well, the pay is less in federal government, but I would take anybody. You've done your two years in the federal government. You're going to be able to interview pretty much anywhere, uh, you know, as long as what you've done maps to the job you're applying for. So, um, you know, that's a great program, right? If, if you're near a, a scholarship for service school, um, you know, to help 
you know, at least pay for a couple of years or grad school, um, you know, and do some time in the federal or state governments where you have some interesting and unique security risks and some interesting and unique budget constraints. Um, but you're hands on, you're doing work. And so the second time you, you, you do the next job interview, you're not talking about what you learned in college or your GPA, you're talking about what you did at your previous job. And that's what I talk about when hiring people who've worked before. It's like, what have you done? Have you written tools? Show me your GitHub. If, oh, you're a malware analyst? Here's a piece of malware. You know, reverse engineer it for me. Show me what you find. Um, and, and uh, you know, you start talking about those kind of things. But there are a lot of paths that, that, uh, that can kind of give you a shortcut and, and government and the not-for-profit world and universities for that matter. They don't pay great. But the experience, you know, like I said, then you're not talking to somebody as a new hire anymore. You're talking to somebody as, as somebody who's done something. Well, I, we're, we're uh, mostly out of time, and um, but I didn't necessarily want to cut the conversation too short. John, was there anything else you wanted to, you thought would be relevant to our listeners that we, that we just didn't cover that you'd like to? Um, I mean, I, I think we kind of covered it, you know, but I, you know, to the advice I tell my students and, and like the classes I teach, at least the big one is, you know, the big part of the assignment is, you know, you have a final project. I don't much care what the final project is. Go do something you're interested in and come back and talk to me about it and just put in the time and do something interesting, uh, is, I'm not going to bag on formal education, right? If you're in a place where you can get a bachelor's degree or, or there's interest in classes at your community college or you get the B-sides, by all means do it, you know, but the people who have the most interesting careers have, have, have found something they're interested in, found a little niche and just dug deep into it. Um, you know, there, there's a group I'm affiliated with doing disinformation. There's a group I'm affiliated with doing business email compromise. Uh, and, uh, you know, dig into those things because there's, there's more threat than there is people helping. Um, and, um, uh, you know, just, it, you know, and from there, many opportunities will, will present themselves. Well, it's great advice, and it's certainly really interesting to, to learn more about you and your background. Um, really appreciate your time today. Thank you, John. I know you're super busy, you. and so thank you so much. No, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. All right, bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time. I work hard.